0: Hello, welcome to episode two of the Aim, High and Achieve podcast. This is our first full feature length podcast. Today we welcome Adrian Smith. Adrian is a senior research manager for a leading UK consultancy, as well as the contributing editor for the Kiev Post newspaper. In 2018, he embarked on a life-changing career break teaching English in Ukraine, a country that would become home until the fateful events of February 2022. Hey, Jun. It's great to finally catch up with you. We've been uh, planning this for a while, so thanks very much for coming on to the show.
1: Hi, Stephen. I'm great. Thank you. say uh, good to be on your show. Good.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you on. Uh, we've been planning this for a while, talking back and forward. Eventually, we've we've found the time to get together. Um, so the main sort of um, the main theme of this podcast today, we're going to talk about stepping out of our comfort zones, stepping into yep. uh, out of our comfort zone into something new taking on a new adventure people's reactions around it uh, family, friends how they react to what we do the decisions we're going to make so uh, we have something in common Adrian we both left the UK a few years ago myself I came to Norway uh, when my family I had a young family at the time you you went to Ukraine so yes. that leads us nicely into, into some further discussions on that but so around 2018 you moved to ukraine just talk us through uh talk us through that decision and how it came about and
1: yeah yeah so uh thanks Stephen. um so i'd been in uh, a full time role as a research manager for uh many years based in uh north yorkshire and uh that i started that position in around 2008 and um after a few years uh, I started to think it would be you've got opportunity to take a career break and do something a bit different. Um, I was at a point in my life where I could do that. Um, I wasn't married, didn't have kids, um, but I was uh, in my mid to late thirties. So I thought it's now or never, really, to um, you know do something which I felt compelled to do inside, which was to mm. um, explore. New Horizons. Um, so it wasn't an easy decision, <clears throat> uh, but uh, I sort of was, I found myself thinking that I was getting a bit annoyed when people told me, or some people told me that uh, that probably wouldn't be a good thing to do and that uh, it, it's safer to stay in a secure job and um, you know in that kind of dependable lifestyle so I realized I needed to make that break when I found you know that inner voice telling me that yeah I had to do that and to to try and fight against the reasons why not so uh Mm -hmm. you know I did take advice and I had um friends uh who you know were on different sides of the fence um and in the end i uh, i even went to uh, a life coach actually who and we wow. talked about <clears throat> the pros and cons of that particularly because um at the time my uh, parents were you know a bit older um, my dad mm-hmm. was in his 80s um and i had to break that choice to um, leave the UK quite gently upon them. Mm. Um, but did
0: you did you feel like you needed reassurance in that? Did you feel like you needed a a sort of somebody who sort of reaffirmed what you were going to do and said, "Yeah, don't worry, everything will work out."
1: Or yeah, what what I noticed was that uh, I wanted somebody to convince me why I should do it. And and even though that's not the role of a life coach, um, I realised for myself that the fact that was what I I needed. I knew already that Mm. it was no longer a case of if, it was a question of how. Mm. So um, that was actually around 2016, I would say, 2017. And um, what I also pursued at that time was uh, a TEFL qualification, so teaching English as a foreign language. Mm. Um, And that that, uh, really uh, intrigued me. Um, I thought it would be something I would be good at. And uh, I took a career break. um, Sorry, not a career break. I took um, uh, literally a two week holiday from work in 2017 to do a a workaway experience. And that was in a language school in Komelnytsky, which is a city in central Ukraine. Um, And I absolutely loved that two weeks. Um, You know, I felt fulfilled in in many ways, Um, met some great people. Uh, loads of sort of other internationals who were there on similar experiences, some there a lot longer than I was. Uh, and I, mm. I I realized I was good at that. And um, it, I'd been to Ukraine before. Uh, I first visited in 2011 and I really loved the country. And, um, you know, I, I feel quite at home in Eastern Europe. So... Mm. Um, that was a reason why I wanted to go back to somewhere I knew, but somewhere a bit different and off the, the beaten track. A lot of people teaching China, it, well, that wasn't for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so you'd visited, you'd visited Ukraine a few times before. You kind of knew the culture, the currency, you know, a bit yeah. of the language maybe. So you felt you you almost felt like, okay, if I, if I step out of my comfort zone here, that's the kind of place that I know a little bit about it and you're not sort exactly. of just packing a bag and, yeah.
1: Yeah. And what, what was really noticeable was how um, the kids and um, the adults I was teaching over there, even in that short two-week period, how much they um, valued having me there to support them. And it 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 was a great sort of sense of personal um you know, fulfillment that I was actually contributing to something really meaningful in a different way. So I continued mm. with the, the, the TEFL qualification and I got that at the end of 2017. Um, and then uh, I looked for opportunities to teach in Kiev, uh, in Ukraine. And uh, I uh, found a role with this within a small kind of boutique language school. It was, um, a a startup business by a couple who um, really wanted a a slightly different market and had an unusual offer, which was very kind of boutique style, living room style um, school environment. Um, So I visited, um, went over there to to see them and check it all out in March of 2018 and uh, had a trip to the Chernobyl nuclear power plants um, which was really mm. interesting I'd not been there before. Um, mm. And uh, interestingly, the the, the the Monday after I got back, um, my dad had a heart attack. Uh, mm. So that was obviously a real um, uh, juggernaut to my sort of thinking because I was literally planning at that time to, to move out to Ukraine and um, leave my full-time UK job. And, uh, and that's a, that
0: in itself. That that in itself is a big sort of risk. You're leaving the stability of yeah x amount of pounds a year. You you know your career. Do you put your career on hold? Do you then have to start again from the beginning? You know. But yeah. then if you don't if you don't take the opportunity to, to travel and learn something new, you're going to regret that for the rest of your life. So you, yeah. you you have people on both. I remember when I when I uh, was telling people um i'm taking a job mine's a little bit different i took a uh i had a good job in the uk i got offered a better job in norway and it was it was a bit of a no-brainer in terms of that but i remember i remember one one bloke in a pub said to me norway what are you going to bloody norway for it's full of polar bears and snow and just <laughs> like the total naivety of some people when you have these decisions is like they're just so hunkered into the little town they don't yeah understand there's a world out there and they're just so naive against anything outside the little walls of their hometown, their home pub, the home Tesco. Yeah. You know, and like it's pe- people who head out and, and take on different challenges. It's, it's almost like they're, they're, I wouldn't say they want to see you fail, but it's like they, they just question it. Like, what the hell are you doing? Like, are you mad? Or they don't yeah. realise, you know, and then, and then you do it and, and five years later, it's just normal for you, mm. you know which I, I guess was the same.
1: Yeah, it, it, it was to a certain extent. Um, my, my parents were actually really supportive, um, hmm. but I was, you know, a little bit conscious of the fact, even though my dad made a, a recovery uh, at that time, um, you know, how would they, how would they be? But they were, like I say, they were really supportive and uh, I, I got that position and um, I moved over to Ukraine in, July of 2018 so I rented my house out and um, organized everything and off I went hmm. yeah
0: and then obviously you you know as as the as it's panned out in the future you met your your
1: wife there when when you first moved over talk about that how, how that came to pass yeah so uh the 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 time that I spent over in Ukraine living there uh, which was f- about um four years Was such an incredible time. Um, I got involved not only in teaching but in some acting work as well. Um, As a foreigner in Ukraine, uh, particularly in Kiev, there's a a great expat community. Um, And uh, it was, I was really fortunate that I was able to keep an associate role with the company I worked for in the UK, partly because it was a good um, sort of fallback mechanism, because, you know, it is a risk when you're going to work for a a new startup company in another country. Mm. Um, And because I wanted to keep a good relationship there, um, you know, in case I wanted to go back to work for them in the future. And it's Mm. obviously a bit of extra income as well. So that worked worked well. you,
0: You were doing, you were sort of doing, I don't know, 20 hours or something in the, like remote working kind of thing, you know? Yeah, While so you were there, yeah we
1: we had an agreement that i would do you know produce certain outputs a month for them in the, the research work mm-hmm. i was doing um and it actually turned out to be a you know a good decision because the school i worked for um didn't succeed after to after about six months and uh I ended up being the only teacher effectively in that school. Um, As I say, it was a very small startup business and uh, there's a lot of competition. So, um, you know, I realized quite quickly, um, you know, after that six months, even though I was doing a good job and and we had, um, you know, some great students, it wasn't turning out to be financially viable as the owners had hoped. So... I made a transition to work for another language school, sort of teaching corporate English to um, teams, mainly business teams in the IT sector. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of uh, uh, visiting and to business premises, and I, I actually found myself getting quite fit and healthy over there because I was, I was using the metro and walking everywhere. So I had a good mm. lifestyle. Um, eating at the right times of the day, rather than when I was in the UK, cooking heavy meals in the evening and not, not doing breakfast.
0: Uh, yeah, because I think I think as well with a with a sort of nine to five when you you're working in these offices. I think most people, you know, they're getting up early, probably not eating breakfast properly. You know going through the rush hour, getting to the office, sitting yeah. slumped behind a desk all day. You know, nine to five. You you know what it's like in the UK traffic wise and everything like that. You get Mm -hmm. out at 5 5. p.m., 5.30, sit in traffic for an hour, get home, it's dark, miserable, nobody wants to do anything, you know. People just put the soaps on, watch crap on telly, eat and drink, load of shit, you know. And Mm -hmm. then a lot of other countries you go to, you know, I don't know, a lot of European countries, Norway, for example, Sweden, I'm sure Ukraine is pretty European European type of culture there now, you know, 3.30, The most other countries are kind of finished work and they're at home and, you know, seeing the family mm. and it's a mm. uh, massive different culture, you know. The yeah. UK certainly gets bogged down with a nine-to-five and people working silly hours, you know, and it's a very different culture. So it's, yeah for me, for, for me in Norway here, I mean, that's one massive thing is uh, is the, work, the work-life the work balance. It's, yeah. it's almost that, priceless, you know.
1: Yeah. And, and the work-life balance was really good, um, you know, during that time because I was freelancing, um, you know, in everything I was doing, even the teaching, um, when I moved to that second role after the first school closed. Um, but, um, but yeah, so things were going really, really well. Um, and then uh, COVID hit, uh, COVID. You know, obviously, in 2020. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think like everybody, we sort of hunkered down and, you um, you know, just wait, rode that one out. Over, How are the restrictions there
0: in, in Kyiv?
1: Well, one thing I did notice was that uh, people weren't rushing to panic by toilet rolls. No, and
0: um, they weren't here either.
1: Yeah. So, uh, and I think that said something about, well, it says two things about the Ukrainian people. Firstly, they're a, a type of people who are used to um, dealing with difficult challenges Um mm and uh they're also but but that can also be a bit of a weakness because maybe there was a slight element of denial uh, until uh you know things started to lock down, but then um and the the lockdowns weren't as severe as they were in the u k but we did get them at slightly different times um so you know like like the u k government ukrainian government experimented with different restrictions, some of them seemed a bit too draconian, and others uh more sensible but um yeah it, it i would say that it certainly wasn't a lockdown to the same extent as you know everyone no. was experiencing in the uk and
0: and now now when we look back on it now and just realize what, what an absolute farce it was you know yeah to to be massive yeah. massive pharmaceutical companies making billions of dollars out of uh you know, vaccines and scaremongering and all this kind of thing. And we look back now and it it was almost like a, a you know, six months after COVID, it was like, Oh, do you remember that that bloody COVID uh, mm-hmm. pandemic that just happened and it's kind of just erased from the memories, you know, and like mm-hmm. left trillion dollar deficits all over the place. And it's just yeah, crazy. I think I think I felt were I had COVID twice, I think. And it wasn't too it was quite mild. I had maybe two days off work or something. But I was mm. far worse after the uh far worse after the second and third vaccinations. This mm. the second the the second vaccination knocked me out for a week. Mm. Uh so I mean God knows what was in those things. We'll never know, I guess. But uh yeah. And then so t- 2019 COVID 2021, 2020 come out of covid you're still in ukraine yes and then uh and the tanks rolling well just couldn't get any worse could it
1: yeah so uh <clears throat> just sort of backs up a little um so you, you asked me earlier about uh, meeting my wife so yep so mm. i met alvira uh on tinder actually so it right. does work, it, it does work. Uh, how did you uh uh translate that tinder ukraine did you have google translate on to well, figure it out no, it's it's all in all in English, really oh, okay uh, so uh so yeah, we met online and I remember our first date I went to to meet her outside mm-hmm. her apartment and um I thought I, I was going to be swindled, and uh, I made sure I kind of <laughs> stayed several meters away from the uh, the edge of the building just in case I was going to be robbed but uh, right. I, I is staying. that is that a common
0: thing is that is that a common thing that kind of sort of
1: well. Activity? Yeah, actually, I will I will say this in, in Ukraine. There are, uh, and, I, and I'm not to, not to say that that's any different to other countries, but uh, you, uh, you have to be on your guard um, mm. for, for somebody who might be looking for a, simply just looking for an iPhone, uh, you know, not really a, a partner. Um, mm. So it's, it's, uh, there are a few interesting characters there.
0: Do they maybe see a kind of Westerner? Okay, maybe he's got a few quid and we can kind of, you know, yeah, exactly like yeah that well, that, well, that, well that well that
1: well that that did actually very nearly happen um okay. I, I did i did have uh, one date where we went to a restaurant for a meal and uh she was telling me about her family and she had a sick granny and uh, needed to go and get granny's medicine and uh, she had to do that after the meal do i want to go with her spend a bit of time together we got in the taxi and i realized this isn't a taxi um okay. we we did we did uh go to a pharmacy in the middle of uh a district i wasn't familiar with and uh I, the farm the the bill from the pharmacist was about 100 times what it should have been um i wasn't prepared to pay it and uh then she she ran out got in the so-called taxi what well, she got in the front seat and i thought mm. who gets in the front seat of a taxi mm. so um yeah so you have to be careful mm um yeah. anyway, luckily uh when I met You survived Alvira, that one. Yeah, and uh Elvira looked, looked just like a photo's was lovely. Uh we had a, a nice date on the uh the Dnipro River on a boat cruise in the evening and uh had a few subsequent dates and everything seemed to go swimmingly. Mm-hmm. Um and uh yeah, so that was in the uh summer of 2020, actually in <laughs> covid times but um when restrictions were were a bit lighter there so obviously we worked around Mm. that um and uh yeah uh we got engaged in 2021 um had a nice holiday to uh montenegro that september i felt a bit naughty going there because it was currently on the red list for the uk so uh i figured if anything happened in britain and i needed to get back i'd be snookered for two weeks Mm. but uh no that was so, so that was a good a good year really. Um, and we, and our wedding was booked at the time for, uh, August of 2022. Um, so, uh, this, this becomes relevant later for other reasons, but we, um, we got Elvira a visitor visa to spend Christmas in the UK. Um, so, uh, that was in the December and, um, she came and met my, uh my mum uh my dad sadly passed away in uh summer of twenty twenty one but anyway, in the december she came here and um had a nice visit went to london did some lovely things and then it was back to Kiev in january twenty twenty two where we were planning for all intents and purposes to continue living
0: hm and you uh you work for the Kiev post is that right
1: so uh yeah, that that December actually, the the Kiev Post relaunched after it was temporarily closed, and the the chief editor, um, Budan Nahilo, um, was a sort of contact of mine in Kiev. We'd met on the expat scene, and uh, you know we talked about my helping sort of get the Kiev Post back up and running. It's it's a long established, twenty five year old um, news outlet in Kiev that's. Broadcasts to um, in English and also in Ukrainian, And so I uh, I helped out mainly in an editing role because that was what I had time to do around mm. my other other stuff. So um, that kind of gradually picked up um, as a, as a freelance job, and um, mm. yeah, and then things were getting interesting on the news front because there were concerns that Russia was building up a large concentration of troops on Ukraine's eastern borders. Um, Sort of 90,000, 100,000, 120,000, the numbers kept changing. Um, And that's when things started to get a little bit unsettling.
0: Hmm. How were people kind of reacting in in Kyiv? Were they sort of, ah, this is nothing, no stress? Or were they kind of thinking, bloody hell, something could be going down
1: here? Uh, the former. And that's where I come back to the point I made earlier about COVID and the reaction to COVID. And I I mentioned, could there be an element of denial among the people? And I I actually feel that there, sadly, was among many people. um, Life in Kiev was continuing as normal. um, And the uh, but I had foreign friends, and you know, we were having, and obviously, British friends as well were, were getting in touch with me saying, Do you want to think about getting out? And uh, for a while, you know, maybe during January, I was starting to think I need a contingency plan because mm. um, you know, if something does happen uh, as a foreigner in the country, you could be at greater risk. Um, yeah, you know, if you were if uh, you know, they were to. Russians were to come in and things were to go terribly wrong and they were trying to look for bargaining chips. So, uh, and there were a lot of, you know, with the editing job I was doing, I was reading a lot of um, op-eds by writers who were hypothesizing what a a possible invasion scenario might look like, be it a small incursion into the east where Russia already held or um, was occupying land whether it was up from the south to create a land bridge between Russia and Russian-occupied Crimea, which it had held since 2014, or a full-scale invasion or an attack on Kiev from Belarus. And I thought to myself, well, in Kiev, you're probably safe as long as Russia doesn't start positioning troops in Belarus. Mm -hmm. Then came the stories that um, weapons were being... uh, There was evidence of shipments heading over to uh, to Belarus on the border. So there were satellite images of troop concentrations there. So it started to feel like things were not necessarily just a bluff from Vladimir mm. Putin. Almost like you have been surrounded at this point. Exactly. I but um, the school I was working for at the time, um, I remember I, sorry, I, was, I spoke to one of my colleagues there and I said, are you, are you a bit concerned about you know how how this is looking and she said no it's actually it actually seems to be easing up and i thought i don't quite believe that um so uh anyway uh we come towards middle of january um and it seemed then like the greatest risk uh of a, a russian attack on ukraine would be around the 20th of february because they would still need to attack while the ground was frozen so that tanks could move uh, more mm. easily. Okay. Um, but also <clears throat> the 20th of February coincided with the end of the Olympics in China and Russia and China have very close ties. So Putin wouldn't want to do something to distract attention from the okay. Olympics. So there was a, <clears throat> a window of, uh, you know, shortly after the Olympics finished where I thought that that could be a, a serious issue, serious problem. And the intelligence Mm. coming out of the US was not um, promising and they were started advising their citizens to leave the country. Um, So uh, what we did, uh, Elvira and I booked an apartment in Krakow in Poland for a month um, where we thought we'll just go spend a bit of time there, work from there temporarily Mm. and um, just wait for it all to blow over. Mm. Uh, so we went to Krakow on the 12th of February and after a week there, we started to think we'd overreacted, um, probably nothing was going to happen, but I, I, you know, uh, I'm a bit superstitious and, uh, I, I've been experiencing some, some experiencing some, some strange phenomena with, their uh, flickering lights and, and that started to get worse and worse, uh, when I was in Kiev and I thought, is this a message? Um, and then Valentine's night, we were in a restaurant in Krakow and uh it was a basement restaurant, and um suddenly all the lights in the restaurant started violently flashing on and off. Um, and it was really the weirdest thing. Um, and uh then they came back on again and I just thought that's a that's that's a bit weird. Uh, so you know, we never know, but um I, I, I was sort of really conscious of
0: this do you think possibly you were, you yeah maybe anxiety was you were thinking and sort of every yeah. signal was sort of pointing to that possibly but
1: possibly so. possibly did, did yeah. you uh
0: did, did you leave much in kiev was were you in a an apartment block you know was it damaged did you did you get to go back after you know or did you leave everything and then you know go back to the uk from poland or did you head back
1: yeah so um Yeah, so I lived in, uh, so this is another interesting thing. I lived in an apartment building in Kiev on the top floor, 26th floor. um, And what concerned me most was that the building was next to, um, shall we just say, an intelligence building. And I was concerned that that building could potentially be a target um, if there were airstrikes and what would happen if they missed bearing in mind I was on the top floor. So I thought, you know, for safety reasons, it's probably not ideal. So anyway, we're in, we're in Poland in the night of the 23rd of February. We'd just been out for a meal. Um, I couldn't really sleep that night for some reason. I woke up a few times and just checked my phone and I saw reports from um, BBC news that uh, explosions were being heard uh, in Ukraine. And then these reports became more frequent and uh, the, it was then apparent that Russia had launched um, a full scale, multi-pronged invasion of the country. And they were firing missiles into Kiev and other cities. Um, and uh, they began, a, you know, very quickly, I don't know if it was on the same day, actually, but very quickly a, a ground assault um, from the north. Uh, and from the east i think from the south as well so uh things got got very nasty and it uh, became quite dangerous and i had lessons planned that day um so uh you know that morning i was seeing the news reports of um people fleeing kiev the roads were blocked um the 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 aviation was was locked down so people had to travel across the country by by road or by rail, um, neither of which were pleasant experiences and I had an American friend with a wife and baby in Kiev who made the journey west, took them probably the best part of a day or two and the similar time again stuck on the border trying to, to get into Poland. So it all happened very quickly. And um, that,
0: that's that's the kind of story, you know, you, you you don't really think about it. But, you know, if you think about going on holiday with a baby, how, how stressful that is and you're just in, you know, Manchester Airport or something and you've got a baby and it's stressful. But imagine yeah. if you're trying to get out of Kiev and you've got a baby and you're stuck on a border. And that's yeah. probably that's probably one of the most ordinary stories of the whole thing, but it's probably the one that's just totally not appreciated for how terrible it is, you know yeah exactly uh, I mean it's probably not too bad if you're if you're a single bloke or maybe maybe it is bad I, I don't know but if you if you're on your own you've only got yourself to look after you yeah. know and you you're getting out of there but when you've got a family you're trying to get to a border I mean in the western world where where we grew up you wouldn't even think about having to flee get to a border and find safe haven you know we just take Take everything for granted, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah. In this modern, in the in the world now, with social media and Snapchat and everything's on reels and videos, and you know, from the you literally see things from the front line. As you know, I remember on the day, on the day of that invasion, I actually had COVID, yeah. and I was uh watching Sky News. I very rarely would wa- watch the news, but I was watching Sky News, and it was like, Jesus Christ, like this is serious. Like the tanks rolling rolling mm. across the border and full scale invasion and and it's interesting mm. you have uh you have how the Western media will report why Russia is doing it, for example. And then mm. you'll have the Russian side of why they are doing it. Mm. You know, and and it's it's really difficult to to get a real true picture of what's what's happening, you know. What's really yeah. happening.
1: Well uh I think I think it's sort of what 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 does seem very black and white is that um, you know without, without getting too much into the politics that Ukraine wasn't wasn't in any way threatening Russia, but Russia um, uh, in, just invaded the country and uh, without justification whatsoever or with false false grounds mm. and um, attempted in an attempt to effectively bring Ukraine back under the into the sphere of the. Um, you know, the dream of the resurrecting the okay. Soviet Union. Um, so piece by
0: piece, like the Crimea, the Donbass area by area, literally just yeah. seizing the land back.
1: You know. Yeah. What, What what's not clear um, is whether uh, Vladimir Putin genuinely feels that there is a threat from, uh, you know, that Russia is under threat from, from NATO. And he, he was concerned mm. that NATO was getting closer to, to his borders. Um, but it's uh, what, what, what Ukraine has always struggled with is that it straddles the kind of east-west divide. Um, mm. And in 2014, um, the Ukrainian people overthrew the Viktor Yanukovych presidency. Um, he was a pro-Russian uh, president because, they, because he refused to sign an association agreement with the EU. And, and young Ukrainians in particular were European minded, and and many many are, um, and uh, so that was what kickstarted the the tension and mm. uh, Ukraine's desire to be a, a sort of a European country and Kiev to be a European city, uh, and the aspirations of the people to want to live more democratic lives, which they can see more through social media and Facebook, you know, which. Um, so
0: they're looking more to the west than exactly,
1: to the east. Exactly. Exactly. And for for Vladimir Putin that's very much um, a threat. It's a threat to um, what he sees as the one people the Ukrainians and the the Russians, but um yeah, he he doesn't want that to happen. And uh, he's doing everything to or has tried to do an awful lot of bad stuff to um, to stop that from happening.
0: So 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 the the previous Ukrainian president signed the Minsk agreement and then the 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 current Ukrainian president is not for Mm -hmm. the Minsk agreement is that kind of the simplified basically to to give the Donbass as a an autonomous region and and not have it and I don't think Zelensky was honoring that it being an autonomous Uh, region basically so I think Minsk basically said NATO will never come will never come to ukraine and ukraine will never go into europe and the donbass will be autonomous but i think zelensky leaning to the west was basically yeah from what i've read into it was is basically going in the opposite direction pewins doesn't like that and you know hence yeah. where where it's at now there, there
1: there also is that that tension in because the more you go towards eastern ukraine um the more people have sort of closer kind of cultural and other, other ties to to mm. Russia and um, are supportive of Russia and the same in, um, to a large extent in Crimea in the South. Um, but, but ultimately Ukraine since 1991 has been a sovereign independent nation. And, um, you know, if you want my opinion on this, then, uh, invading another country is not the way to to solve that problem. Um, And, you know, a lot of journalists talk about the re-invasion of Ukraine in 2022 because the first time was in
0: 2014. Mm. Yeah, and I I guess it's like Ireland, you know, Northern Ireland and Ireland, and that's been been rumbling on for centuries. So Mm. it's probably comparable to that kind of thing in the East, you know, with this Donbass regions and the people there. Yeah, half, half, so probably cr- half Ukraine, half Russian, you know. And then you have towns, you know. Belfast is split into two: Catholic, Protestant. You know, this. I'm, mm-hmm. um, I'm guessing, having never been there, but from what I've read, I'm guessing it's that kind of situation. And then, yeah, Putin yeah, they're, they're, flexes they're, they're muscles, sends the also. tanks in.
1: Yeah, yeah, but what what's been particularly brutal is the um, the the fact that that this war has been conducted a, almost in a genocidal way. Um, the mm. attacks on civilians, the attacks on homes, restaurants, um, the, just 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 brutal attacks on ordinary people. Um, yeah. which the, these Iranian crazy.
0: drones, are, these Iranian drones you see flying in, you know, it's just mm. crazy when you when you see some of the things going on. You know, yeah. I just watched a documentary just just before we uh, we met up today. I just watched a documentary on Wagner. Mm. Uh, I think it's a Wall Street Journal on YouTube. Right. Wall Street Journal Wagner. It's a, a documentary showing uh, really interesting, showing how they've got interest in the Central African Republic, in Syria, Sudan. Yeah. You know, and and it's basically doing Putin's business abroad. Yeah, uh, gold mines, oil fields in in Syria, and uh, you know now he, now they fell out. Now he was putting his turned his tanks onto Putin. So I mean, it's it's all falling apart, really. Yeah,
1: I mean, as as we speak, there's still a lot of analysis going on relating to the um, uh, what what happened with the the Wagner Group and the um, sort of. Uh, March to, to Moscow as they were supposedly doing. But uh, I mean, as much as Prigozhin <clears throat> is, uh, you know, very much a uh, bit of a, a bad guy, uh, really, for the Ukrainians, um, he, um, um, yeah, so he, he publicly said that um, Vladimir Putin's premise for the war in Ukraine was false. And he said a few home truths, actually, which um, was not what the Kremlin wanted to hear. Oh. Um, the the problem is, what do the Russian people hear? The Russian people get the state-controlled media. You know, the the, the social media is blocked in many case. You know, m- much social media is blocked in Russia, which uh, tells you something.
0: Mm, so you don't have Twitter, for example, as a as a live feed.
1: Um, I don't know about Twitter possibly, but I, I know um there's restrictions on Facebook and Instagram, usually some restrictions out so there. So it's
0: like yeah, it's like China and it's in its autocracy.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So you, you asked me a question about um yeah, my, my apartment, didn't you? So just going back to that, so we we were in we were in Poland for about a month, uh yeah, March Yeah, February the 12th to March the 12th. And then luckily, because my uh, fiance, she was at the time, had that visitor visa for the UK, she was still within that period. So we were both able to come to the UK. Um, And that was when uh, Britain was uh, trying to organize a a visa regime. Excuse me, I'm about to sneeze. that was when the uk was trying to organise a initial, um, visa entry system for ukrainians seeking to um to flee and uh we we were able to she was already able to enter the country but uh, as a result of these new measures uh, she was able to mm. cross over to um the ukraine family scheme which allows 3 years um yeah. so yeah that was that was a godsend really it gave us some stability. I I, rem-
0: I remember I remember reading about this scheme and 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 uh, you had the brilliant stories in like the the sun and the daily mail these Ukrainian wife I invited a Ukrainian uh, into my house and she and she stole my husband and all this kind of thing it was like it it was always in the in the sun how how Ukrainian women who were being uh, given homes were stealing everyone's everyone's husbands left right and
1: centre you know. Yeah yeah I think there's lot there's lots of stories from lots of different angles with them you know I I know somebody who uh, came to live with uh, somebody who had about 10 cats and that proved To Be a Nightmare and uh, she didn't like the cats and the woman kicked her out. So, you know, get, give it for those on the Homes for Ukraine scheme, which is slightly different. Um, I don't think everybody who took took in the Ukrainian, although good for them for doing that, not not everybody was, uh, sort of had really thought it through and it was it was rushed through and it was um, admirable in many ways, but I think a lot of people had difficult experiences.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's, um um it's from what I've read about Ukraine, it seems like quite a stoic place where people are not sort of leaving en masse. You know, a lot of people are sort of holding the ground kind of thing. I think that's been kind of what the why why it's been the the, the Russian uh, invasion has been sort of held back so well because people didn't just sort of flee. All right, there was there was some sort of pictures at train stations and things in the early days, but it seems like they're quite a stoic people who sort of stand the ground, you know, and quite steady resistance against it.
1: Yeah, uh, one, one thing that's important to mention there, though, is that under martial law, men um, are not allowed to leave Ukraine and haven't been since the, I think the 25th of February, 2022 right. so that's had a real strain on families so um mm. a lot a lot of people who have left the country are women and children um, who have continued to be separated from their husbands and partners um you know there are exceptions when men can leave but uh uh that that has put an additional strain on and and i think it's important to remember that a lot of ukrainians want to go home that have, that have left mm. and have have gone home some have gone home and um you know very few have, have lost their lives in an attacks that i've and i've heard of um you mentioned people leaving train stations russia bombed a train station killed lots of people so mm. it's um it's not easy but i've got friends there now who um continue their resolve and you know why not that's their home
0: and you still have a lot of touch with people back, back there. You know, you're still sort of speaking to them
1: yeah, on a regular basis.
0: Um, so sort of...
1: Yeah, um, you know, my my wife has friends who are still there. Um, I've got friends who are still there. So we kind of keep in touch on social media, the usual, really. Mm. Um, mm. But interestingly, I, I did mention about the, uh, you know, my apartment building and, and where I was living. And uh, there was actually an attack Um Next to my apartment building, and it blew quite a few of the windows out um, mm. not, not not my side actually but uh yeah the, no I don't think there were any casualties um unless minor casualties but um you yeah, know that was uh you know almost one of my sort of fears coming true
0: mm. And when you read the sort of the, the Western press, so the, the BBC, for example, you know, how, how sort of accurate do you find that that, that, they're, that they're reporting Sky News, for example? i I noticed watching Sky News nowadays that they actually start to tag on fact checks at the end oh. of reports. So they will put a video and then they will put, we fact check this against this and they and they're kind of, yeah, it's probably good to see, but again, you know, but ha- yeah. how sort of accurate do you fa- do you find what what the sort of Western press are uh, are reporting on it?
1: Well, um, ever since the invasion started, what what has been interesting is how much uh, support there has been for for Ukraine in what's happened, um, and support f- and in the UK in particular, uh, taking in you know Ukrainians who are. Um, stuck the media has uh i i can't really talk too much about sky news because i don't follow it greatly but um the bbc has um i would say been pretty good in their output and they have bbc verified which is a similar sort of fact checking service mm. um some news outlets tend to take a, a greater interest than others i know the, the telegraph is uh, very plugged into this um and they have a lot of interesting articles actually but uh yeah, no, there
0: is. I, think, a the of... guard, I yeah. think the Guardian has kind of like a daily diary of you know day mm. nine hundred and four. This is what happened, and right. they kind yeah. of they have a daily ongoing uh, sort of report from the front lines. And and uh, yeah, I find it, I find it interesting. Like a lot a lot of the American press now, they're starting to sort of question Biden's links to to Ukraine. You see a lot of this coming up now with the Republicans mm. are kind of saying to Biden, you know there's a lot of dodgy deals going on here that, that need looking at, you know, and then nobody's going after him for it. Nobody, Nobody's really talking about, you know, his son uh, and some, yeah, some crazy energy deals. And I, I know for sure if it was Trump, they'd have been all over it, you know, he it, would have been yeah. before the Senate or something already, but I you know Biden, he seems to get away with not having to answer these questions
1: yeah, yeah, and, and what's also interesting is the uh, the support in financial terms for military aid to Ukraine. I mean, the, the the billions that have been supplied is is still going on, and it's helping to uh, um, kind of prop up Ukraine's ability to defend itself. But you know, who who knows where that will go in the future? Um, Mike Pence has, has visited Ukraine as a republican presidential candidate to to show his support which is in somewhat contrast to other republican candidates um mm. but uh you know if donald trump was to be reelected, then the picture might look very different so uh you know the bigger picture is you know is defending ukraine defending actually western mm. freedoms because you know where could it all end so yeah there are some big questions there for the future and we don't really know where this is going to go. The media continues to uh, follow kind of breaking new uh directions in the 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 war um, like particularly the prigozhin um thing mutiny as it was called um, mm. but 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 generally when it's the uh the same crap on a different day unfortunately it doesn't always get media attention and I've got a number of friends here and uh, my barber being one she said uh, is the war still going on because I don't hear about it and I said yeah you just don't hear about it because n- there's nothing that actually changed it's still mm. just as bad today as it was yesterday um so it's sort of fallen out of the press but that's that's natural you know obviously depending on uh, what you're reading
0: I think it's like a natural. You you become desensitized after like yeah. after the first week of seeing the bombs and the explosions, and then you you see it after two weeks, and then it's just normal, and then it's almost like a Hollywood movie that's just on the news, and then you just yeah. desensitized to it, and then after one month, like you say, you've 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 forgotten it's going on. No, you yeah. know the the, the the newspapers get tired of reporting the same thing, so they move on to something else. Yeah, you know, and then and then the Wagner guy goes up to Moscow, and then it boom. This is brilliant. This is something new. We can make a new angle on this, and then it comes back again for a little bit, and then it drifts away. You know, and that's yeah. kind of how it that's how it went in Iraq and yeah. all the other conflicts is the same kind of thing. Yeah. So, um would you are you thinking of heading back there when this gets cleared up? What's your sort of long term plans now? Are you sort of settled in with uh, the family in uh, North Yorkshire? Or-
1: yeah. So just, just to bring the story up to date then. So uh, actually last summer, um, Alvira and I got married in Kiev. Um, it was our original plan. We, we ended up changing the date, but but where we had originally hoped to get family and friends over for the wedding, um, we realized that that was going to be out of the question. So, uh, you know, in the, in June, when 2022, when we were there for pretty much the whole month, uh, it was relatively calm. There were air raid sirens. Um, there were attacks, but but that was before Russia started its campaign of targeting the uh, the energy infrastructure in Ukraine. Mm. So it was a you know a relatively calmish period. So we were really lucky. Um, but we uh, we got married and we we had a, a Zoom wedding for our family and friends in the UK. So we had a good sort of seventy or eighty people join us remotely, which was great um so, and obviously a few friends there in uh in kiev um so we had a lovely wedding day and then we came back uh to the uk in july um and fortunately we were able to to bring all our stuff because uh you know we only had one bag each when we went to krakow and came back to mm. the uk that time so we, we we knew then that when we were going back that um we needed to bring a lot more but mm. then i i also and then my wife um, became pregnant uh, in later that summer um, and uh, I had a difficult decision that I needed to go back to Kiev to wrap a few things up, so some you know, business interests and hmm. um, my permits and, and everything else. So uh, I had a, a week over there in February of 2023. Um, it was a little bit worrying that, Period, because it was approaching the anniversary of the invasion and there was a lot of speculation that Russia was potentially going to uh launch something of an onslaught. Um, that particular week was fairly quiet. So again, you know, I I was lucky, a lot of people aren't lucky, but uh mm. yeah, that was that that was a chance really to tie things up there. We, we knew that we were going to be back in the UK long term and um, mm. made the decision that, uh, you know, with family on the way, baby on the way, needed to get back into a more stable lifestyle. So, you know, again, good job. I kept the associate role well with the company I was working for. I was able to go back to mm. them full time. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I did. And, and here we are now back in North Yorkshire in the same house I was living in Prior to 2018, although it looks very different now. My wife's put mm. a stamp, stamp on it and it feels like a slightly kind of, well, very different era to, you know, when I left. I'm mentally in a very different place. I feel like I've lived a dream in many ways in those four years. Mm. It was an amazing experience. Loved Ukraine. Um, I've got a part of Ukraine living with me here. Um, mm. And uh, longer term, to answer your question, Who knows, but uh, never Mm. say never, you know, it won't be short term, uh, that's for sure. But uh, maybe taking a a 10 year view, let's see, let's see where we are. But, you know, Mm. there are, there are some hurdles, obviously, with um, visas and so on for Elvira to to continue to stay here, which we'll need to work through, Mm. but hopefully that will be, um, you know, ticking a few boxes, really. So, so Mm. that's where we are now.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's it's a great story, sort of comes back full circle. You sort of headed out there, got got disrupted by COVID, you know, battled through COVID and then sort of got to the point where yeah, armed conflict's at your door and then you you sort of deal with that. Yeah. you brought out of Ukraine a family that you went you went there without, come out of it with a family, come back to the UK. Yeah. That's it's a, a really interesting story so do you do yeah. you still do you're still working for the Kiev post now or are you still con editing editing this
1: yeah so i i work as a contributing editor for the Kiev post so um you know i as mu- as much as that is um you know it it helps with a bit of extra pocket money it's uh it's something i enjoy doing because i feel like i'm contributing to you know the effort over there Um, Mm. and I enjoy it really so uh, that's something I do in kind of evenings and weekends really around the day job Great stuff, great stuff
0: Okay Adrian, we're starting to run out of time so I'll thank you very much for your time today, it's been a really interesting story Great stuff Good to talk to you Stephen
1: uh, Good luck to the family Thank you very much and to you Okay, Bye bye bye